Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to today's Name Tags Chat Podcast. We are with Lex Gillette, who is the world record holder in the long jump for the T11 class, which is the completely blind class. He actually, we will talk about this, well, we'll get into Frozone later, right? Because he actually wears wears uh, blinders, so he can't see anything, if he could see anything. He is a four-time Paralympian, started at 19 years old in 2004 in Athens. He is going for his fifth games in Tokyo, and we are crossing our fingers, hoping that that is going to happen. Four-time silver medalist, three-time gold medalist in the world championships. Lex, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Pretty pretty glad to uh, be here with you today. This is absolutely awesome. Now, you are coming to us from Chula Vista, California, right? From the training center? Yep. And you're a resident there, right? I am a resident here, yes. Phenomenal, phenomenal campus and, and place to be, especially right now. How long have you been a resident at the training center? Oh, my gosh. It's been 13 years. Have you really? You've been there for 13 years? Like, this 13, is <laughs> 13 years. This is the only place. I literally came here after college, and, yeah, this is, this is where I've been. And you haven't left. Wow. So – we're looking this week, this past week, NBC was was announcing that it's six months until the Paralympics. So I don't know about you, but for me, I was thinking, okay, that announcement means that it's really going to happen. Yeah. But you've gone through, I mean, you've been at the training center the whole time. What has it been like when everything shut down? That was... That was tough. I think that so it was last March. It was a year ago now, and and everyone was finding finding out about you were hearing about the virus and and hearing about the you know the the uh, just finding out more information about it. And the news had come to us that the games were going to be postponed. And at that time, I just remember being like, "Well, you know what? I think they're just trying to figure out." You know, just just you know, trying to see how they can ensure that athletes are safe and just figure out the, the best action plan so that we still can have the games. There's, there's no way they're not going to have it. So I, I totally was just, you know, super optimistic. Man, it's going to happen. And then we finally got that news. And then there were some, some tests um, amongst athletes, which prompted literally everything to shut down. And, uh, and, you know, there were quarantine positive tests. Yeah. Um, okay. And so literally everything just we all, you know, went in our rooms and, uh, you know, would be able to get food. But that was about it. And I think that was that was super early in the in the journey. So uh, uh, trying to find out information about about the virus and you know, how it spreads and how to protect yourself and all of those types of things. Um, you know, we, we literally just, that was, that was the beginning of it. Um, and, and slowly over time, I would say the middle of the summer, um, I think we were able to, you know, get back out there and, and do a little bit of training, but using the analogy of, of training wheels, it was certainly, okay, you can go out, but you have to keep your distance. Of course, um, uh, when you're not exercising you have to have your your mask on so you know if you're running up hills you can take the take the mask off um which is difficult for you though right because you are a blind athlete which means that you have a guide who is tethered to you yeah so this is not a six foot tether no (laughs) you guys are side by side right so so obviously i mean the two of you had to be tested and know that you could be in that close proximity, right? Yeah, we we had gotten tested, but even before that, we we just weren't able to work together. And and I was doing a lot of I was doing a lot of things on my own, running stairs and 
and going down to the track and, and uh, you know, just figuring out a way to stay in some sort of shape. Well, that had to be hard. So in March, you thought, well, this will be a couple of weeks. We'll be right back to it. Like, let's stay in the training. Don't don't change anything. And then when they when they shut everything down, then there wasn't a whole there wasn't anything you could do. And you said that came back in the middle of the summer that you could start getting back into training. But this is you probably hadn't had that kind of a layoff in your career. Right. Exactly. And that that's a really that's a really good point. It was a it was a tough time. For sure, and I think even from a from the mental side of things, uh, it was you know it was it was definitely hard for so many years. This is what I've done, and to be uh, you know for lack of a better term, kind of you know trapped in in this one area in this one space, that was a uh, you know the very sport that I love was being taken away from me. That's for sure. So how has that preparation, because you're not 19 anymore as well, no. right? Back in 2004, you were 19, but now yeah. you're 36 years old. Yeah. So you have to be more systematic in your training, right? You don't bounce back quite as quickly as maybe you did back then. What have you had to do differently to prepare? And and when you've been doing that, have you, have you believed? Have you just said, that's the date? I am, I am preparing for this regardless of what I hear, I'm not going to listen to the news. Yeah. I, I mean, naturally I'm, I'm an optimistic person. So, um, you know, I, I kept, kept the thought in mind that, all right, I need to make sure that I'm ready because you don't know if they're going to say, Oh, we're going to, we're going to have the games, but it's going to be three months later, or it's going to be four or five months later or whatever. Um, so I wanted to make sure that, all right, Hey, if they still turn it on and, and we're able to go, then I am going to be be ready to compete. How did you do that? How did you do that mentally? Because the mental part is harder, right? That's exhausting if you're thinking, I'm going to be ready. It could be next week, could be the week after, could yeah. be next month. Like that you're you're in that sense that that state of anticipation. How did you deal with that mentally? Um, and I think just leaning on the fact that, uh, you know, as an athlete, you, you want to be, you want to be prepared for any situation. And, and I literally just, you know, I lean on that, um, at the drop of a hat, things can change. We have to make adjustments and adapt and, and figure out a way to get this, the, the positive outcome solution that we want. Um, so even though I wasn't able to go outside and what, what other ways can I take advantage of, um, you know, the training? What can I do inside of the the room? I can do jumping jacks. I can do uh, kneeling jumps and and squat jumps and medicine balls and all of these different exercises to continue on a you know plan of of preparedness. Is that something that you do particularly well? Like you've given our name tags presentation, right? And our motto is, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens to you. Is that a particular strength? Do you feel like that's an advantage over your, over your competitors? Uh, (laughs) uh, Maybe in some, maybe in certain ways, but I mean, we all know once you get out there, whoever has their, their A game that day is going to, um, you know, they're going to get the gold or, first place or whatever it is um but i definitely think that you know having that type of that mindset it just it keeps you motivated keeps you inspired and keeps you realizing that uh you know there's something ahead and i think that 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 something ahead that vision or whatever it is that gold medal is what um you know really motivates us to to keep going and push push toward that I couldn't agree more. And so, so you're talking about two separate things, right? You're talking about one, your physical preparedness, but then two, being able to prepare mentally so that you can be that person who's on 
your A game. Can you describe to people how you long jump? Yeah. So in the long jump, you, you have the stretch of track where you, you run, of course, and you have a takeoff board that's in the ground. And since I can't see that takeoff point, I have someone who's standing there in between the takeoff board and the sand pit. So their back is to the sand pit and they're looking down toward me. I'm about 120 feet, 30, 40, 34, 35 some odd meters away. And he is clapping and yelling, fly, 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 fly as loud as he can. So that gives me that the ability to hear and know which direction to run. From there, it's me running 16 strides. And on my 16th, I jump and uh, <laughs> pray to God I'm going to land in the sandpit. That, okay. I wasn't going to go there, but I have watched the video because there are times that you have not landed in the sandpit. What, what does that feel like? Um, well, well, it doesn't feel good. I'll tell no, you that. I'd imagine. Uh, 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 but uh, you know, that was at a it was at a major championships. It was at a, a world championships, and in that moment, you're still yeah, the adrenaline going, you're the excitement, the the act of of being in, you know, you're in competition. I think that that helped to alleviate some of that initial physical pain. Um, but I think even more, even doing that, you know, it's a, it's a little embarrassing. Um, that hasn't really, that hasn't really happened to me before. I may land in the sand pit and may, uh, you know, hit my hand or something on the edge of the pit, but it's, you know, nothing to the degree of, of landing full body outside of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of an embarrassment and, um, and just, questioning like oh man what happened um but we were able to number one i was able to get a new pair of tights because the, the ones i had before were a little ripped so i was didn't want to moon the crowd or anything like that so i got some new tights um me and my guide wesley got back on the same page and what basically was happening was imagine yourself you're you're running at the sound of this person's voice but inside of large stadiums that could echo and there's the the environment environmental factors that could play a part and you know if it's really windy outside and that can carry that person's voice um so really having to have a conversation and talk about what it is that i'm hearing so that so that the proper adjustments could be made and i think the last thing was literally just you know, get out there and, and and leave it all on the field I knew I still had an ounce of, of something inside and I didn't want that that image of me landing on the side of the pit that I didn't want to be the lasting image that people saw of me at at that particular world championships like I still had you know something inside of me so let's let's go out there and put it out there and see what happens so you are so you, you said what 16 strides 35 meters you're going fast. You're you are the only, the only blind athlete who has jumped over 22 feet. So this is 22 feet in the air. You're anticipating that you're going to land in the sand, yeah. which is which is relatively soft. You dig into the sand, and instead of landing in the sand, you landed and effectively bounced on the track because you yeah. didn't know any better you thought you were going you were stretching for the stretching for every last inch yeah thinking you're going to land in the sand but then you landed on the track like heels butt on the track which is hard so you said that you wanted to leave every last little bit that you had out there what was it like on that next jump being committed because you, you you've been able to to figure out what happened to a certain extent that that maybe it was bouncing off of the stadium that it maybe it was windy I would imagine that adrenaline played a role in it as well potentially that you're just all jacked up it's a big event how were you able to focus and commit to that next jump knowing that you just missed the pit I mean this is 
you know, is this the yips? Is this, are you, are you able to say, I'm going to run as fast as I can and I'm going to jump off the board. How did you do that? I think that in when it's time to compete and, and you're, you're out there for me, I personally think that is, you know, like you have a responsibility to, to go out there and to, to literally perform to the best of your ability and do your absolute best. And, and although that previous jump happened the way it happened, um, to your point, yeah, the adrenaline was high. The excitement was, was, it may not have been as high, but it was still, <laughs> still high after, after landing on the side of the, uh, of the pit. But, um, I didn't want that to, that wasn't going to be the end. Uh, my legs were still, were still moving. I still had some speed. I wanted to try it again and write that quote unquote wrong that had previously, uh, previously happened. How did the next jump go? That was uh, my best one of the competition. No and, way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was the best one of the competition and, and we uh, won the gold. So, so it, it all makes sense, right? I mean, it, it, things happen for a reason. You miss the pit, you come back, you get your biggest jump ever, not biggest jump ever, but biggest jump of the event. How is, because we've talked a bit about the mental side of things, right? And so three-time world champion in long jump, yeah. record holder, only blind athlete to go over 22 feet, maybe in competition. I don't know if there are any others who have done it. In yeah. training, but you've been a four-time silver medalist yeah. in At the Paralympics, right? So this yeah. is the bridesmaid issue. Yeah, is that what's motivating you going into Tokyo? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, winning the gold is always the that's always the the number one priority for me, and. Um, and yeah, certainly something that you think about a lot, right? Like having four opportunities to go and, and being fortunate enough to find out about Paralympics as a as a as a kid growing up, because um, you hear so many stories about people who find out about it later in life. And so I'll point that out again to say that I've been fortunate enough to have four opportunities to go, and each one of them have always been they've always been different. Um, and, and of course, when you get to that level of competition, it's going to be hard. That's literally our Super Bowl. Everyone's wanting to, they want to get that, that illustrious gold medal. And, um, for sure, the, the thought of winning that, um, this year is, is definitely something that, that keeps me rolling out of bed. And particularly with the last Paralympics, I felt like you know, that was a really tough one for me and uh and i certainly want to you know come back here at 2021 tokyo and and stand at that stand at the top of the podium it's kind of a unique games right i mean it's a really unique games this is the only the only olympics and paralympics that will be on an odd numbered year mm -hmm. so so it's historic right and yeah and obviously you've waited, you mentioned that you were lucky that you learned about the Paralympics early on. How yeah. did, how did that, how did that happen? I had a teacher of the visually impaired in high school, Brian Whitmer, and I want to say his master's degree was in like adapted sports and recreation. And naturally, you know, he, he knew a lot about uh, adaptive sports, the Paralympics, USABA. He just was a wealth of information when it came to to sports and, and, and rec. So um, he had told me about it when I was a freshman in high school. So you know, at, at 14 years old, 15 years old, however I was, however old I was, um, you find out about it at, a, at an early age and you're able to to get started versus someone who may may not hear about it until they're 29, 30. Exactly. Now, you, you weren't born blind though, right? Nope. 
Nope. So I started to lose my sight when I was eight years old because of recurrent retina attachments. Wow. Yeah. So, so you lost, you said nine years old, you lost it and you'd been an athlete before, right? And, and jumping was part of who you were, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, as a kid, you know, jumping off of the, <laughs> jumping off of the coffee table and sofa, pretending that you're a superhero and we had a this ledge in front of our in front of our house that I used to run and jump off of. Prior to me losing my sight, I, I played rec league baseball, played your typical backyard sports. And my mom got me swimming lessons, enrolled me in swimming lessons early. So I've always been a, a pretty active kid. So when I had lost my sight, going through that that process at at eight. Um, you know, it certainly took a while to transition, but once I had fully gained that confidence again to to move around and explore and discover a lot of those elements and things that my mom had me involved in uh, prior to losing my sight, you know, it was a matter of me just you kind of kind of uh, figuring out how to you know safely tap into all of those skills. Safely seems like an appropriate word. <laughs> Because what did you think when somebody first suggested you're a blind guy? What did somebody, what did you think when they suggested, yeah, long jump might be a good idea. Like run as fast as you can and jump in yeah. the air without knowing where you're going to land or when you're going to land. Yeah, yeah absolutely crazy. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> uh, like, like you fell off your rocker type, type reaction. And um, I, I just... I really couldn't, you know, no pun intended. I just couldn't see it, you know, and, and you said it, like run as fast as you can and, and jump into these you know, seemingly like abyss. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like in a lot of these situations, you, you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, you know, if you don't give yourself a shot and you don't give yourself a chance, what, what type of potential success or opportunities or, or you know, achievement, are you totally just throwing out of the window by not even giving yourself a shot? And I had someone there, um, you know, we talk about it a lot in, 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 in the name tags program. I had someone there who who uh, believed in me and, and he believed in me so much that I began to believe in myself. And uh, when you have that type of connection with someone, they they really make you forget about which you thought was you know, previously impossible. And, and for Mr. Whitmer, you know, turned Coach Whitmer for those uh, few years, it was him making me forget that I, w I was blind. Well, it was your mom too, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and my mom, you know, she, um, my mom's side of the, the side of the family is the athletic side. So everybody has played everything from basketball to volleyballs, you name it, they probably, they probably played it. So she definitely encouraged me to get out there. Um, and, I, and I think that Mr. Whitmer was able to take that foundation and the, uh, you know, the, the little bit of uh, you know, physical talent that I had. And, you know, he cultivated that and, and got me to a point where um, you know, physically I was training and, and doing well but mentally, he really helped me elevate my thinking. That's awesome. And everybody needs somebody like this. So can you describe to us what this feels like? I mean, obviously, you've done it a lot, but everybody out there probably will have had this experience where you walk up the stairs in the dark and you get to the top and you think that there's one more step, right? Yeah. And so... So then you go and step and whether you trip or, you know, or sort of hyperextend your knee or something like yeah. that. What's the kind of reverse like that for you? Because, because, okay, you have your steps. Wes is, is clapping and chanting basically. Mm -hmm. So you're getting to the board, hopefully, but then yep. you're flying through the air. And yeah. I'd imagine now you have a good sense of like how long that trip takes. But what was that like in the beginning? Like, are you just preparing for impact? How does that work? 
literally cannonballing into the to the sand pit. It was it was like a like a pool situation. Um, but that was how I was. That was when in the beginning. Oh, you when you jump, pull your knees up to your chest, and so <laughs> that's what I would do. Uh, and and just yeah, to your point, wait for the ground to come. And you have an idea, given the fact that you can tell that your body is is declining, falling toward the ground. But do you truly know when you're going to to hit the sand i would say more times than none um you know i'm i'm not able to really really identify when it's going to come i'm just you know guessing still that's the case after 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 so long because then you also think about let's say that you have one of the best runs of your life on the on the long jump run when you jump so i think that jump is going to feel a lot different from say your next run where you may not run as fast. And then let's say when you jump, you go more vertical than you do horizontal. Um, so there's so many different elements that could totally throw that off. And, and you're talking about tailwinds, headwinds. Yeah. yeah, and just just how you jump in general. Like if, if you take a jump and let's say you accidentally, you just go too, too, too vertical. So it's more of a, an upside down v right instead of it being more of a parabola and and being a you know kind of long jump so being that those things can happen i think it you know changes when you could when you're going to touch touch the ground it's you have your steps measured right you know you know how far you're going and you you tailor that to a certain extent, I mean, you tailor like when you start based on whether there is a tailwind, whether there is a headwind. So you're getting your 16 steps. Is that, do you do that? Well, mm, not, not much. Um, most of it for me is, is as long as I can get that, that really good, clear, crisp sound from, from our guide, I am focusing in on where he is and, and taking off in that direction. Now, if we are in a competition where, to your point, if it's super windy outside, then I'll wait for a, a safe space or pause in the breeze so that when I run, I can have a, you know, that, that clear sound. Because running, running in a headwind and trying to listen, that's, that's a recipe for a disaster. <laughs> that makes sense. It makes, it makes sense now that you've said it. I, I don't know that I would have anticipated if you hadn't said it. And you take off on the same foot every time, right? Are you left foot or right foot? I jump off on my left. Off your left, which kind of makes sense, right? If you're right-handed, you jump yeah. off of your left foot. Exactly. That's, do you ever do you ever go go jump off your right foot? Accidentally. I've done it in, in competitions before accidentally because I thought that when I started running and I got down toward the the mark where I was supposed to jump, I thought that I was going to scratch. So I kind of, um, you know, kind of adjusted my stride and, and ended up jumping off of my right leg. Totally awkward. It just felt so weird. It probably feels like somebody else's body practically, right? Because it's so practiced yeah. jumping off of your left foot. Yeah. Definitely. What what are some of the training things that you do? Because I'd imagine you don't go out and just, and just jump all the time. Yeah. It's probably, it's pretty, it's gotta be, it's gotta take a bit of impact, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that people don't realize is that I rarely ever you know, get actually on the runway and, and run and, and do a full jump. I'll probably do that maybe three or four times a week, three or four jumps a week. Three or four total. Um, total. And maybe, and maybe a fifth one if my coach is just like, I didn't like that last one. We can't end on the last one. So there's really there's there's not much jumping going on. There's a there's a, a good bit of running because you want to make sure that you have your your speed to be able to to get out there into the sand pit. You you're doing strength and conditioning training. So we're doing the you know Olympic lifts, the power cleans, the squats. 
snatches, uh, deadlifts, you name it, core and below, we're, we're probably in there doing that, making sure that we can get strong and, and be able to create that power and have that speed. And there's a lot of drills, a lot of drills. And, and uh, what else are we doing out there? I mean, we'll jump rope, we'll do box jumps, we'll run hills, we do medicine ball work. So there's a literally, I would say 1% of it, uh, maybe not that low, maybe like five or 10% of, of training a week is, is actually on the runway, jumping into the sand pit. Is that the part you love? Is it like, is it like the dessert for you in some ways? Like, okay, I actually get to jump. Yeah, I think, man, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a certain type of, of feeling when you get on that runway and you really literally mash the gas as fast as possible and try to go as far as you can through the air. And um, that's a really cool feeling. What's the most important part? Is it is it the speed that that translates into distance? Is it the power off the board? What what really what do you see or what's a trigger for you that like if I get this right then I get it right? If I can start that run and go as straight as possible then everything else is just it'll fall into place. When you start, you know, fishtailing and you know going off too far to the left or too far to the right, or you're having to make adjustments during the run, that influences and you know could definitely have a negative impact on your on your jump. You want to have that that straight run, that really fast straight run, and jump at the proper time. Continue to, to yeah yeah building right through what are the so in a lot of ways what you're saying is that for you it makes sense right it's, it's way more difficult than for the olympians yeah. who yeah. are jumping into the pit what do they say when they watch you jump uh, I, of course a lot of people are in, inspired right and they're just oh man i can't even i don't even understand how you do this those types of uh responses so I think they definitely get a, a certain level of, of inspiration and, and, and motivation from that. And I think the, the, the cool thing is that in my training group, we have Olympians and Paralympians and uh, everyone literally just trains in the same group. And I think that there's a lot of just mutual benefit from that. Of course, I think at this point, the Olympians who we train with, they just you know, they don't even really think about, uh, you know, Paralympian or, or, you know, you may be missing a limb or whatever that I just think they, they're just like, oh, that's Lex or, oh, that's Trent or whoever. Um, and so it's just a really, it's a really great environment. And I know for me, I'm able to pick their brains about things that I can improve upon and incorporate into, into my, my run or the jump. And, uh, and when it's time to compete at, at training, they don't hold back because we're we're Paralympians. They're like, oh man, Lex, you can, you can get beat too. Come on, let's go, and uh, and so uh, it just makes for a really a really fun and and genuine environment. But there, I mean, that's got to be one of the co highest compliments that you can receive, right? You're just you're just one of the group. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be awesome. So what? So it's kind of funny because we talked about jumping, but but even just the running part is difficult. Like if somebody, if one of your teammates, one of the Olympians, put on your blindfold and tried to run down the track, and this is a track that this person, man or woman, has run on over and over mm -hmm. and over again, they what what would happen to them if if they did that? I don't think they would be able to pull it off. And uh, what do you think, mean by that they wouldn't be able to pull it off? Would they be able to stay on the track? I think that there could be a, a number of things. I think that they could most certainly run off of the track because you think about when you're on the long jump runway, it's only about three feet wide, if you will. So you don't have much room for air. 
when you're trying to navigate. So I, I don't think that they would be able to, to run in a straight line. And God knows, I don't know where they would land when they jumped. So, I mean, they could, they could land in the, the pit that's, that's directly you know, one pit over to the right or to the left. Um, so it, it would be interesting. I would, I would rather them test that out with like those, uh, uh, I don't know, like the inflatable, inflatable like pillows or something like that. So if they did jump too far to the left or to the right, they would, they would land on something soft versus that, uh, the concrete essentially. Yeah. Versus coccyx on the, on the track you started. No, no. When you started, though, I mean, you didn't start at the full runway, right? Didn't you start sort of like at the edge of the pit, like basically broad jumping into it, like jumping into the pool? Is that how it worked? Yeah, yeah. So it all stemmed from this physical fitness test in high school that we had to take, and and we actually did the standing long jump inside of the gym. So we were jumping and and landing on on the uh, gym floor, but then my teacher, Mr. Whitmer, transitioned me outside to trying it um, on that, the, you know, the actual long jump pit. And uh, when I was first learning, of course, I wasn't going 16 strides, I would do something small, like five strides. And, and you know, one, two, three, four, five, boom, jump. And uh, as I began to get more and more comfortable, we started to back that, that distance up. Now you are, you're, you're a long jumper. Is the triple jump in the Paralympics this year? Because you've, you've been a great triple jumper as well. It is not, it is not. We haven't had it since 2013, I believe. And so I was really excited about that too, because I was really starting to come into my own with that particular event. And that one is, is much harder because for, for those who don't know, the, the triple jump, you begin your jump from a takeoff point that's significantly farther away from you know, you're, you're further away from the uh, uh, pit so where the takeoff point is could literally be for example 20 25 feet away from the actual sand pit and in the triple jump you, you run 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 and you jump off your left jump off your left again, and then jump off your right, or vice versa, you jump off your right, jump off your right again, and then jump off of your left. When I say left, left, right, right, we're talking about, talking about our legs. Um, and so having my guy stand at the takeoff point here means that he's also far away from the sand pit. So when I now, when I run down the runway, boom, 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 I get to the takeoff point, I pass him, I take that first jump. I have to continue to keep my body straight and jump again, boom. And then I jump off of my right leg, which would complete the series of three. And again, pray to God, I'm gonna land in the sand pit. Um, and it's, so, man, it's so much harder. And when you run strictly for one jump, it's like, okay, boom, get to my takeoff point, bam jump landing the sand versus in the triple jump you literally run, 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 jump 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 sand so it's, it's the difficulty is is definitely greater but it's it was so much fun well it's like it's the hop skip and a jump kind of thing right the triple yeah. jump yeah so and, and it's it's really hard for sighted athletes like there there's a lot that can go wrong just because there's so many moving parts but you said you loved it i mean did, do you like it more than the long jump or are you allowed to say that nah nah long, long jump will always be my that's my first love um first thing that i was introduced to and triple jump i want to say came maybe like eight or so years after i had been long jumping Okay, and you, but you're still, are you still a sprinter as well? The 100 meters, 200 meters, or? Yeah, more so just making sure that that speed is still there more than anything, because that's a, a, an important part of the, the long jump. So I definitely, you know, I, I hop in the races and, and I usually get my start rights and things like that at, at the major international competition. So um, I usually just kind of look at it as 
if I see that my progress is going in the direction that I want specifically on the, the sprinting side of things, then, then I say, all right, you know what, let me, let me throw my name in a hat and see what happens. Is it is it also kind of a nice way to get into a big event to have to have another event to kind of warm up? Yeah, yeah. Totally. And it's, it's, it's always interesting standing behind those blocks and you know, the sprint races because you're, you're there and the, the announcer comes on and they're saying some of your accolades and, and I'm the one in the race that's like, oh, he's a world champion long jumper. He's a world record holder. And a lot of the other records that, that my competitors have are, oh, well, he's the European record holder in the, in the 100 or the 200. So um, it's, it's kind of cool to to be on that stage with with the the people who have you know i would imagine they started sprinting those were the first events that they did versus me starting with a long jump or field event so you started with the long jump versus started with sprinting right really right yeah and a lot of that was because at that time our i think the high school association would not allow me two lanes to to run and so i i just didn't sprint and uh you know i think that if i could i think that if we could do things differently i think certainly would have would have pushed back on that but i think that since since the excelling was happening on the long jump side and and since the long jump was what i was introduced to first I kind of just, you know, put the sprinting to the side and was like, all right, well, you know, I'll be able to, I can run at the Paralympics or, you know, any other competition that will allow for those two lanes. And just for clarification, when you're, when you're running, um, you know, you, you have that guy to your right or to your left. And so you're designated two lanes so that, uh, the, you know, there's ample space for, for athlete and guy to, you know, to operate while they're running right it'd be brutal for you guys to oh, all man. One lane. One lane. that would be wild so in high school you were competing for your high school then yeah yep and scoring points and how did that yeah. go how did that go versus the other the other jumpers <laughs> how did you do yeah um i was doing by the time i was a senior i was doing really good and i was i was scoring points for for the high school so that I'm such an invigorating feeling at the end of the day to know that you're that you're contributing to to something to be contributing to this team. And when I had when I was in high school, and my teammates were again, they just looked at me as, oh, you know, that's that's Lex. Like he's out here, he's a part of the team, he jumps. But when we would go to other high schools and other competitions, you definitely had those kids who were like, oh, man, what are you doing here? And uh, I'm like, well, I'm a part of the high school track and field team. Like, I came to compete. And they would, the way they would ask the questions just felt very condescending. Oh, so how far do you jump? And I would intentionally tell them something super short, like 12, 13 feet. And mind you, I don't, you know, I'm from a standstill, I can jump 10 feet. So we would get into the actual competition. And, you know, by that point, I was jumping 18, 19 feet in high school. And so, you know, the kids now, like their voices totally changed. Like, oh, oh, man, like, man, that's, that's a really good job. And, and people's tone will change when you, when you start to beat them. And so, you know, beating these kids. And I think, you know, on their side of the, uh, in, in their mind, they're thinking to themselves, like, that I just let this blind dude jump, jump farther than me, like, what's happening in life? <laughs> um, so I'm pretty sure that they, they definitely were, uh, you know, were a little, you know, <laughs> shocked, to say the least. That had to be one of the most enjoyable parts for you was to go and just shock people, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's something that, like, when's the last time you seen someone who's blind run as fast as they can and jump into a sandpit? Like, uh, there's so many things to do in the world, right? And people would look at that and say, oh, that's the one that you chose. <laughs> that's what you like to do. Um, 
but yeah i mean it's it's man it's just, i don't it's crazy to think about you know at this point in life you know, how everything is has transpired i'll say about that well you get to fly right yeah that's a feeling that everyone like everyone loves to fly do you have any idea how long you're in the air like when you jump 22 feet it's not long i'll tell you that it's, it's certainly not long at all um and the interesting thing is when you jump that far i don't even i can kind of tell when i have a good jump but a lot of times it's just like all right what are the officials going to say like get the tape out let's see how far it is um but there are some times where you you know how it is chris you're in that zone and when you're in that zone it's like nothing can go wrong you're able to like the the focus level is just out of just through the roof and yes your ability to to tap in to that moment is just it's like otherworldly and um and so i point all of that out to say when when that really happens those jumps feel humongous like huge and gravity just feels less than i would imagine yeah yeah, like nothing yeah. It's, it's almost like the movie scene where we're like it's, it's slow motion and you have that that nice slow score in the background like it's just I don't know. Everything just literally slows down, even though you know outside of your mind is is you know happening at a rapid pace. That is awesome. Is this where the superhero image, your your alter ego, Frozone, comes into play? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Who is Frozone? Can you explain it to the audience? Yeah, so so from the Incredibles, uh, you know, Frozone is one of the the characters and wears a uh, an eye like a mask and so i have mine I actually was doing a presentation earlier where i had it but so mine looks like this and uh you know like you mentioned earlier you put it over your eyes to create that that equal playing field that level playing field across all of the competitors and um, yeah, whenever I go to talk to kids, they're the first thing that I say is, oh, that, that makes you look like Frozone. And then from there, we talk about just you know, the, the movie is Pursuits and, and just, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun being able to, you know, engage with them and, and have that uh, that connection to, to you know, talk about that, that movie. Do they do they look at you differently? Do they look at you when they they go, well, you're like Frozone, like you're you're not this this blind guy. You're like a superhero who does things that nobody else can do. Is that is that what the kids take from it? I think that uh yeah, I think I think in some ways that's that's true. Um, you know, kids they they connect to to things like that, superheroes and you know, that that feeling of flight and having superpowers and. They, they they definitely see them on the playgrounds or at home and the imaginations are running wild and so i think that that definitely um is something that they that they gravitate toward and for sure when they see someone who is you know blind or, or visually impaired being able to do these things i think immediately they think of say like a, oh that's like daredevil and it's just something that that they're able to you know for them able to connect the dots in that fashion and uh and yeah i mean they see another you know visually impaired guy he's running and and jumping through the air with a really cool superhero mask on but that's that's some of your job isn't it i mean one of your jobs is to go and fly yeah is to run as fast as you can jump as far as you can but it's also to make that connection right to make yeah. that connection with the kids how did how did that end up happening? Did it end up happening just just because of the the Frozone thing, or or was it something that you really thought about? Um, I think that is, uh, you know, a little bit of both. When they see, you know, people see certain things and and you know make their uh, you know like oh you know that that looks like this or that looks like that. Um, but then I think even, even past that, 
Uh, oh, I kind of lost my uh, uh, train thought. thought that I had. Yeah, um, um but oh, that was a, and that was such a good. Uh, <laughs> golly, so you, man, that's the worst, huh? It really is, and it's just, and it happens so much more frequently. It seems like when you're yeah. when you're doing this stuff. Virtually, oh, I got, I'm sorry. Here we go. Yeah, for sure, definitely. And so, so I think that it definitely is. There's some planning that that goes with it as well, right? Because as as a person who is presenting, you want to be able to engage and figure out ways to connect with them in an authentic way. And so, for kids especially, they certainly. I mean that that speaks their language, the the, the superheroes and, and Incredibles and Disney movies and you know, the, and if you can utilize those things in a way to to number one strengthen that connection and number two educate them on a particular skill or or uh, you know a goal or whatever it is, then you know let's let's figure out a plan an action plan so that we can help them to absorb. The lessons and and uh, you know utilize those lessons moving forward in life. Now this is it's part it's your responsibility in a lot of ways, right? I mean it's it's one of those you're the person who lost his vision, but in a lot of ways it's your responsibility to give people a way that they can relate to you in in a meaningful ma manner, right? So is this where you came up with the idea of? Uh, no need, no need for sight when you have vision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not, it's not our sight that that determines that success, right? It's it's our ability to see things beyond the horizon and and see things before they exist, and and that alone, with everything that that goes on in life. You know, particularly, let's say right now with the pandemic and not being able to to live like we previously lived, it's it can weigh on your mind at times. But I think that when you have when you have that vision, that gives you the ability to see that that light, that glimmer of hope, even through times of of challenge and and despair. Uh, so you're always trying to really focus on looking past the current reality, which is, which is vision. How did you come up with this? Cause it's, it's nice when you get something that makes sense, right? No need for sight when you have vision and you go, okay, I understand what that means. I can't, I can't see, but I have a vision of where I'm going. I have a vision of what I want to do, but it's hard to come up with that kind of a phrase, right? That sentence that captures, how did you, how did you come up with that phrase? And then, and then when did you know that you're like, okay, that's it. That's the one. That's a good question. I think that um, I, I started to look back on life and, and you think about when I had lost my sight and that was really challenging. That was, you have a lot of questions and you're trying to figure out how to transition. But what after I was able to to get through that that uh, you know that initial pain from losing sight, it's literally everything that has been created ultimately and everything that will be created, it always starts with a vision. And you see it within yourself and you see it within others before it even can can turn into reality. And and so once I had locked into that idea that you see it in your mind first, then the rest was, you know, the rest is history, as they say. And, um, you know, I saw that within my mom and I saw that within Coach Whitmer, um, my, you know, my guy, just, just everyone. And uh, the interesting thing about the slogan is my mom is, is actually visually impaired. She has glaucoma and Mr. Whitmer, my, my teacher of the visually impaired, the first coach, he has a visual impairment as well. You know, both of them still have usable sight, but um, you know, it just it, it gives that statement more more power and and impact because ultimately, even though we are talking about literal you know eyesight and and being able to to visualize, um, 
you know, it's ultimately talking about a mental shift, right? Like, like changing your attitude. Did this, did this come about where you just, did you sit down one day and say, I'm going to come up with my motto? Yeah. You did. Yeah. So I literally, like I was wanting to get sponsored by companies and I was wanting to, I was just trying to figure out kind of like the business side of, of, of sports. And I was like, well, all of these, you know, products out here that we see in the world, they have, you know, taglines and, and mantras and things like that. So I wanted to figure out one that I could use. And at first I used to say, no, no need for a vision when you have a vision because that, you know, vision is, is ambiguous. Um, but, you know, finally just made the switch to, to site. And, uh, and, you know, I was like, yeah. Oh. This sounds good. No need for sight when you have a vision. No need for sight when you have a vision. And it was just you. This wasn't a conversation that you were having with somebody else, a brainstorming session. Yeah. Well, at first, when I was doing a no need for vision, when you have a vision, yeah, that was just me. And so I had a conversation with someone who's actually um, our old high performance director. And I was, and I had um, pitched it to her one time. She was, she was the one that had suggested, oh, why don't you just change the first vision to the site? And, uh, and that's when you know, that happened and started to say it. And yeah, no need for sight when you have a vision, no need for sight when you have a vision. And it just, it stuck. And uh, that was probably 2008 or nine, I want to say, when all of this and, was happening. And so I'd imagine you come up with this and then you start saying it out loud. Yeah. Right. And what's like, a, like what's an affirmation? Go ahead, say it again. I'm sorry. What was what was the reaction when you started saying this out loud? Because whether it's a speaking event or whether it's in a, a media event or even just to your friends yeah. or whatever, what, what was the, what was the reaction? Were people like, yeah, all right, you're onto something? Or yeah, or how was it? Yeah, no, I think I think people definitely, you know, they they think that it's some people think that it's clever. You know, a lot of people think that it's it's uh <clears throat> excuse me it's inspiring or energizing and you know for me when i say it it's 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 like it's it's power like it gives you gives you strength when we start to to talk about things um you know those, those thoughts come out as as words and, and you're putting it out into the atmosphere and you're letting people know and and getting people excited and it's this is a lot that that um that happens and and um similar to what i had just mentioned like like an affirmation of sorts like no need for sight when you have a vision like i can i can surpass what my eyes are seeing and and excel to heights in life that i may not have imagined or or you know, anyone else may not have imagined it either you're the one who created this this mantra or this motto how often are you the audience for this mantra or motto? How often do you need to hear it? I'm gonna say all the time. That's it's like you air. say it to yourself though. Like, hey man, this is this is the way it works. Like, um, no need for sight when you have vision. Like, yeah. yeah, stop, get over yourself, and let's get to work here. Yeah, you, you know, I guess in that in that context, I may not say it to myself a lot, but what I will say is, you know, it I think it's just transcended to a to a to a mindset. And so everything that like when I'm pushing forward and, and looking at new opportunities or you know, I'm just really focusing on, all right, well, how can we make this blossom? Like what, how can we maximize these opportunities? I see some really cool things off in the distance. How, what can we do to, to close the gap between where we are now to where that destination is? And, and that's where part of your message when you speak to people is how do you help them see, Yeah. right? And, yeah. and how much fun is, is that twist for you? It's pretty cool, um, you know. It's, 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 it's when you hear it, it's like, oh, okay. Well, he can't see anything. All right, what's, what's this about? But I think that you know, people quickly realize that, uh, you know, again, 
ultimately, you know, when we see something, that is that's objective. You know, I could show you, I could show you a pair of track spikes, and and you would say, "Oh man, that's super dope. These are some nice, some nice Nikes there that you're wearing." Another person may look at those track spikes and say, "Oh, well, this is, this is a means to pay for education." And another person may look at those shoes and say, "Oh, you know, this this is a way for me to, you know, stay physically active." So, um, I mean, it, it, it's just, man, I, I could talk about vision all day. No, this, <laughs> is, um, this is awesome. And, yeah. and let's let's kind of let's kind of we'll get you out on this one. But the idea of your superpower, the frozone of your, of your, your, your doppelganger, you know, your, uh, what's the, is this your superpower? I mean, is that, is that the idea that you lost your, you lost your sight, but you gained the vision? Is that your superpower? I think so. I think so. It's, it's always, you know, and thinking about that, that mantra and being able to elevate what you're past what your eyes uh, see, or in my case, what they don't see. It's a, it's a daily, it's a daily challenge each and every day that I'm, that I walk the earth and what can I, how much more can I see today? What can I discover today? What can I, what sort of limitation or barrier can I extend or, or obliterate and I think having that that appetite for, um, you know, just for, for like life and and figuring out what's beyond the horizon, that's a that's a really good space to be in. It, it kind of it feels really, really amazing, and it always keeps me, um, you know, in the mindset of, hey, what what's ahead? Like, I think there's something great ahead. Let's let's go after it. Let's figure out a plan and, and figure out how to turn what what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing into something that's you know, physically here in front of us. Is the essence of your vision uncluttered by by your sight? I mean, you don't have the sight right now. So is that yeah. essence uncluttered by the sight? Is that is that sort of a gift in some ways? I do think that it definitely is. It, it provides some some I'll say protection, if you will, from uh, from the scenes of of life. And don't get me wrong, you know, people can say, "Well, you still can hear, and you still can touch, and you're still able to to um, you know sense things." But I mean, we live in a, a visual world, and so people are always looking at just just looking at things swiping on Instagram swiping on Twitter and they're, they're seeing this and they, they see they see hope and they see um, challenging moments and, and it you know it makes you feel a certain type of way of course um, but when when you truly just are literally focused on that you know that vision it, it kind of it literally just overpowers the the sight in a lot of ways and and again those moments where it's really daunting and and the weight of the world is is on your shoulders and on your mind um it's it is that vision that is the that's the the foundational piece and, and that's what helps you to see that light light that's what helps you to to really say all right well i have i have something to shoot for and from there it's a matter of connecting with some you know, with some genuine people, some great people, figuring out a plan and and just staying hungry and staying motivated. That is awesome, Lax. Well, we hope that your vision is bringing you to the top step of the podium in Tokyo. That's the big hope, right? Yes, absolutely. For all of you, thank you for joining us. If you didn't get a chance to see the whole uh, whole interview, you can go to the One Revolution page. This will be archived on our One Revolution page. You will see Lex's podcast as part of a regular podcast on YouTube and Spotify and Apple and all of those places. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe. Please tell your friends. I, I happen to think that Lex has an absolutely amazing story and I've learned a ton in this hour 
in five minutes or whatever it is that we've been talking. And please, uh, please share it with other people. So thank you for joining us, Lex. Again, thank you and best of luck as you, in the next six months or a little bit less than six months now, right? Yep, yep. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. All the best. Take care. See you.